one of my greatest fears in preaching to you this morning is for you to think that the sermon has nothing to do with you. It's as if the Word of God and the sermon preached has to do with the person sitting next to you. But let me assure you that it's not the case. It is for you as well, as well as every single person in here. Because I believe that today God wants to do a significant work in your life. And I'm going to ask him now through prayer to move by his spirit. So let's go ahead and pray right now. Surely, God, that we're not here just to sit here and your word have nothing to do with us. That can't be the case. Your word is alive. It's active. No matter how closed off you see people are this morning, Lord, I ask your word would pierce through their hearts like a double-edged sword. You'd pierce through them where they are guarded, where they are hiding. Let us ask that you would speak your truth and your love and your grace and your mercy to them. And that something would stir us up by your spirit to have some traction, to get moving, to seek to grow in you. So, Lord, it's all you. It's all you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In a little over a month, we are going to have a men's retreat, and this is a big deal. We do a men's retreat once every 10 years. So if you're going to church during this time of our life, glad that you're here. You've got to come to our men's retreat. Our, our speaker this, this time around is going to be Bob Foos who many of you may know from uh, Ocean City Project over the summer. He's a, been a good friend of mine for about 17 years. We're going to fly him in from California. And he is going to be speaking not only at the retreat, but he'll also be preaching here on a Sunday morning. The theme of the retreat is men don't retreat. Men don't retreat. And, and it's a play on words because not only... Are we not going to go anywhere? It's going to be, we're going to stay right here in Evanston. I'm, I'm not going away with those guys. We're staying here in downtown Evanston. But it's a play on words because we want to be men who don't retreat in life. And there's four areas that we're going to cover on this retreat. We're going to be men who do not retreat from personal integrity or holiness. We want to be men who don't retreat from relationship responsibilities. Men who, who do not retreat from a career vocational or schooling excellencies, and men who do not retreat from gospel risk. At least that is the goal. The reality is that many of us in here, many of us men in here, have retreated on a variety of fronts. Some of you have given up on personal holiness. Others of you have relationship responsibilities that you are ignoring. Some of you are being lazy, and you're a slacker in your major or your career right now. And there are others where God is calling you to great gospel risk, 
but you're just living the life of comfort. And it's not just men. I mean, women can retreat as well. And there's got to be some area in in all of our lives where God is calling us to move forward, and what we're doing is we're pulling back. Every single person in here can probably identify at least one area of your life, even if it's small, where God's saying, go forward, and you're saying, hold on a moment, and you're pulling back. So this morning, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. It's going to be really simple. We're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to encourage you by the power of his spirit, by much grace, to abandon retreat mode and start to advance by God's grace and move forward and grow. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at the book of 1 Samuel. And we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 10. At our church, we alternate between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Last year, we spent all year in Romans. This year, we are in the book of 1 Samuel. And this morning, we find ourselves in 1 Samuel 10. And in this chapter, we see a lot of retreating. The nation of Israel is going to continue to retreat from God. They are sensing this leadership crisis coming upon them. Rather than calling out for God for mercy, they say, God, give us a king. God was supposed to be their only king, but they want an earthly king to be like the nation's. God, give us a king. And God's like, you want a king? All right, let me give you a king. And he gives them a king to mimic their retreating ways. And it's a guy named Saul. And last week we saw the prophet Samuel anointing Saul and giving Saul three signs or three assurances that he has his back, that he surely has indeed anointed him, that he has his mark of approval upon him. So he's given Saul many of assurances that he is the king. But Saul is a reluctant leader, and he has a flaw in his character that we're going to see over and over again. The Saul has a tendency to pull back and retreat from his godly responsibilities. Saul has a tendency to pull back and retreat from his godly responsibilities. We're going to see it several times a day. And we, we had a hint of it last week. If you remember, Samuel anointed Saul privately uh, after he lost his donkeys to Clyde. It was Samuel. And so Samuel said, okay, you're going to be the king. Saul goes back to his father's house and has this interaction with his uncle about the donkeys and the kingship. Let's reflect back to last week in chapter 10, starting in verse 14, of this interaction with his uncle. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where'd you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys have been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. This is not humility. It's a preliminary indication of Saul's hesitancy to even acknowledge the fact that he has been anointed by Samuel to be king. It's almost as if he wants nothing to do with his God-given responsibilities. And, and rather than me going off and dogging Saul too much this morning, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with him. A lot of times, I don't want to have anything to do with my God-given responsibilities. Maybe you get that way too. 
And if you're a man, perhaps someone has talked about you bad behind your back and called you passive. Maybe you would never know about it because they called you passive behind your back. Uh, but married men uh, with kids often get called passive because they, they're, not, they're not loving and leading their wife appropriately. They're being passive. They're not stepping up and taking a role in their lives of their children. They're called passive. But it, I don't think it's fair to just call married men passive because those married men were once single men, and those single men were probably passive as well. So some of you single guys in here, I'm going to call you passive as well. Not all of you, but a lot of you. If there are God-given responsibilities given to you, you pull back and you retreat. And it's not just men who do this. It's also women. With a variety of God-given responsibilities and rather step up and follow through, we retreat. And that's a natural thing to do. I mean, come on. There's some situations in life that are hard. I mean, who wants to lead a wayward nation? You, who wants to deal with a difficult relationship? Maybe you don't want to deal with an ingrained addiction. It's just easier to be passive, pull back, and retreat. That's the life of Saul, and it's a habit. And it's not just the life of Saul. It's the life of the nation of Israel. Let's look at the nation of Israel. Let's look at their retreating ways. Look at verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So Samuel has Israel assembled before him, and he rebukes them on how they have been unfaithful to the Lord. Even after the Lord has been so faithful to them, the Lord had delivered them out of Egypt. The Lord came through time and time again by showing them mercy and grace and giving them his law. And time and time again, they pull back. They retreat from him and his ways. And now they're saying, set a king over us. Now, I don't want to spend the whole time dogging on Israel because I, I do the same thing. You do too. God has pursued you in the gospel. He's given you grace. He's forgiven you your sins. He's filled you with the Spirit. He's brought you to this point in your life. He's totally sovereign and in control of your life, working for your good and for your glory. And, and sometimes we get to a point where we say, you know, God, thank you for the past. But as we move forward in the future, set a king over me. Give me an earthly solution to my crisis. Because when I look at the future, I've seen your past faithfulness, but I'm not so sure you can do it again. Please set a king over me. We can relate to Saul. We can relate to Israel. Now, and you consider the following verses. You would expect that God is about to punish the nation of Israel. They're asking for a king. They're rejecting God as king. And if you've read the Bible, you feel like God's about to squish them. He's about to kill them. Wipe them out. But he is going to punish them. But the punishment is not like what you expect. He punishes them in this way. Get this. He gives them what they ask for. He's like, oh, you want a king? You don't want me? Okay, let's get you a king. 
In fact, we are told from the Bible that God, in choosing of Saul, is angry. Hosea, the book of Hosea says, Hosea 13, 11, says, I gave you a king in my anger. God is not happy. He's not filled with joy in giving them a king. He is angry with them. And yet, he's still going to be involved in this selection process of a king. Look at verse 20. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. All right, let's just stop, okay? Maybe this is not familiar to us. This is the, not the way that we elect our officials. All of Israel is brought before them, and the tribe of Benjamin is taken by Lot. Now, Samuel already anointed Saul in, in private, but he just can't bring him and say, look, here's your king. The people would be skeptical. So God, in his providence, in his sovereignty, is going to choose Saul by lot. A lot would be like a divine throw of the dice. We're not quite sure what it looks like, but, but all of Israel is assembled, and the lots are thrown, and the tribe of Benjamin is chosen. And now we're going to see that it needs to be narrowed down to, by clans and narrowed further to one person. Look at verse 21. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Metrites was taken by Lot. All right? And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So that he's narrowing it down to tribe, to clan. All right, and the, the choice is Saul. God has just picked Saul. Hip, hip, hooray. Let's, let, let's, let's go tell him. It's like a, a, a presidential inauguration. Or the governor, right, with this past week, inauguration. It's like, all right, you've been picked, but we can't find him. Where, where is he? <laughs> and so they go, God, can you please tell us, is there somebody else you want to pick? Or where is he? Look at the next verse. This is, this is great. Verse 22. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, uh, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. You're supposed to be dying laughing right now, right? The guy that God picks is hiding among the suitcases or the equipment. He's hiding. He has a God-given responsibility to lead the nation of Israel, and he is hiding among the back. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So I'm going to give you some pictures now, if you don't mind just pausing for me a moment. I'm going to give you some pictures because you may assume that you don't look just as ridiculous. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you look ridiculous right now, all right? You can look ridiculous in other ways, but I'm going to help you. So God gives you a lot of commands in the Bible, for sure. It, it, there are callings upon your life that are, that, that you, there's no doubt in many ways. Let's just pretend for a moment that, that your friends are all gathered watching God call you, all right? The call's coming. Here's an example. All right, you ready for this? God is calling you for sure, absolutely, to deal with a certain sin in your life. I don't know what it is. You know what it is. So let's pretend the call comes from his word. God is calling you to deal with a certain sin. All your friends are watching what you're going to do. But they can't find you. You just had the greatest call to deal with the sin in your life. And so they're hunting for you. And they finally find you. And you know what you're doing? You're watching Doctor Who on Netflix. 
that's ridiculous, right? God just called you to deal with something and you're doing, what? What are you doing? It's taking up a notch here. For those of you who have kids, I can tell you for sure, God is calling you to lead your kids spiritually, to be engaged in your kid's life. That's the call that goes to you. Let's pretend God verbally calls you. Your friends are watching. Okay, let's watch how you respond. Oh, we can't find him. What's he doing? Oh, he's figuring out his fantasy football team. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? God has called you, and you're, what, what, what are you doing? God has called you to excellence at work. God has called you to excellence at your school. He's called you to step up and do your work with excellence. So where are you? Your friends are searching for you. Oh, they're out chit-chatting in the hall for hours. And lastly, God has called you to take gospel risk and sharing your faith and all your friends watch what you're going to do. Okay, God has just called you to share your faith, but where are you? Oh, you're sipping your latte at Starbucks doing nothing. Where are you, Saul? God has a call upon your life. It's just as overt as it was for Saul in many areas of your life. Do we need to send a search party after you to come get you and grab you to do something, to get some movement, to, to follow through? Where are you, Saul? Let's go back to Israel. Look at Israel. Look at verse 23 and 24. They're going to go get him. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. I mean, if I was at that search party, I'd be like, Dude, what are you doing in the luggage? What, what are you doing hiding? Get up. Get up. But so they go and they grab him and he stands up and they're like, whoa, dude, you're tall. And I guarantee you, rather than rebuking him, they're like, now we're talking. This is what we're talking about. Yeah, this is going to be our leader. Long live the king. Just goes to show you, sometimes God will give you what you ask for. Keep pressing and pressing, looking for a worldly solution. God's like, here you go. You want a king? Here's your king. And you're like, yeah, this is the solution going forward. Thank you. Now, we've got to ask some, I guess uh, this is a, a theological, personal, philosophical question. And, and, and here's the deal. Is God just sabotaging them from the beginning? Is God so angry with his people he gives them Saul to mimic their retreating ways. And is he just, is he just sabotaging them? Is, are they doomed right now? We know the end of the story. They don't. But is he sabotaging them from the beginning? And, and I would say, I don't think so. Because I would say, even at the beginning of the story, God is still acting in mercy and acting in grace and giving Saul and the people of Israel a chance. And the reason why I think I see mercy and grace here is in verse 25. Can you look at that again? Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship 
and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. So God gives them a king, and yet he gives them boundaries. We are told here that Samuel is giving them these instructions, and it's likely that he's reading from Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, which is, is laying out the rights and the duties of the kingship. So Israel will have a king, but it will not be like the other nations, as this king was to daily read the word of God and be guided by God's truth through the prophet so that he can be blessed and not stray. So I would say even at the beginning, even though God is picking a king in anger, there's, there's, a, there's a hint of grace. There's a hint of mercy. There is a way forward that is not uh, facing doom. He's not sabotaging them. He's giving them grace. There is a way forward. Follow my law. It's going to be okay. But unfortunately, there seems to be this deep character flaw within Saul. He still retreats from taking on his God-given responsibilities. And we're going to see so much more of it in the coming weeks. But let's look at one last hint of it. Pick up at the end of verse 25 again. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. You may think, oh, Saul's a, Saul's a good king. He just picked, this is great. He's going to be so nice to, the, to bad people. These rabble are talking bad about him. So it's totally okay for Saul not to do anything to them. But once again, Saul is the Lord's anointed. He is the king. He has the authority. And we will see, you don't mess around with the Lord's anointed. You don't talk bad about the Lord's anointed. Saul should have dealt with this rabble right away. But what's he doing? Pull him back. He's retreating. And Saul is the very first king of Israel. And if you march throughout the kings of Israel, you'll have some that are good, some that are not so good, but they're all flawed. They all retreat in some way. And you've got to ask yourself, can you please give us a king who will not retreat? Can you please give us a king who would fall through on his God-given responsibilities? And so what I would like to do for you this morning is I would like to draw your attention to this crown. You've seen it for several weeks. You notice that it is fractured. It is a disjointed crown. It's flawed. It's, in a sense, broken, and it represents uh, flawed and fractured and sinful and broken humanity and the kingship. And yet, it's also a foreshadowing. It's a looking forward, a looking ahead to another king that will come and not retreat. What I want to do for you is I want to do a little comparing now, a little contrasting between the first king, Saul, and the last king, Jesus. Let's compare the two. The first King Saul was physically impressive, very tall, and yet he was sinful. The last King Jesus, he is physically unimpressive, and yet he's morally perfect. Saul was a passive king, but not King Jesus. Saul was reluctant to take the kingdom, 
Christ brought the kingdom reign. Saul pulled back from his God-given responsibilities. But Christ went all the way to the cross, bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners. We would never say that Jesus Christ retreated. In fact, we would say that Jesus Christ went after those who were separated from God, who have retreated from God's commands. Every single person in humanity has separated themselves from God through their their sinfulness and their breaking and retreating from the commands of God. The Father sees this retreat, sends his Son into the world who does not retreat, lives the perfect life, dies on the cross, buried, rise again. Now all those who repent of their retreating ways and put their faith in Jesus can say with a true heart, long live the king. Long live the king forever. As he reconciles retreating sinners to him through faith in Jesus. And here's the good news. If you're really a follower of Christ, you now have a supernatural power and grace to move forward, to deal with difficult areas of your life, to make some traction, some growth. Not perfectly. Forgiveness when you fail. But we do not follow King Saul. We follow King Jesus. And King Jesus calls us to a life of advance. Not perfection, but advance by his grace. There have been times over the last 17 plus years that I have preached Um, where I have two guys in mind. I'm sure there are others. But these two guys I have in mind, they're not here right now, in case you're wondering. When I would finish with the exposition of the Scriptures, they would close their Bibles and leave. It's as if they were saying, I got it, I'm out of here. They wouldn't stick around for any action of what you may call uh, application. And what's interesting is, as I noticed, I've, I've never known any of the women to do that. Just arrogant men. I got the exposition, got it, I'm out of here. And they would get up and walk out. We know the Bible says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So if you're here this morning and you're going, hearing is good enough, you're deceiving yourselves. Because hearing does not automatically translate into action. So stay with me for a moment and consider, what's the action? Where are you retreating in life? Even if it's a small Where are you retreating in life? And by God's grace, you need to move forward. Consider our four categories. You'll fall into one of them. Are you retreating in the area of personal integrity and holiness? I don't know your private world. I don't know what's going on in secret places. I don't know your addictions and your idols. I I, I don't know where there's self-abuse going on. I, I don't know the irritability I don't know where you're cutting corners in life. I don't know where that's, where that's happening. But you do. And God is calling you to start addressing these issues. Personal holiness. Walk with integrity. What about relationship responsibilities? you find yourselves retreating from any relationship responsibilities? 
I mean, most of you are not married, so I really can't talk about your spouses, but most of you have parents. And maybe there is some strained thing going on with your parents, a mom or dad. And maybe it's 99% their fault. It probably is, right? But there's still that 1% where you have something to do with it. And rather than retreating, there need to be some movement toward them. And for those of you who have, have children, don't pull away. And this is my, my, my greatest temptation. This is the area where I'm tempted to retreat. I have poured so much time, energy, prayer into my older children. It's like, I don't know if I have it in me to do it again for my younger children. They can just get shafted, right? But God's telling me, don't retreat from that. Do it again. Do it again. And what about the area of of school, your major, or your career? I don't want to see a show of hands, but my guess is that some of you are are coasting right now. You're coasting at school. You're coasting on a job. You're just not giving it much. You're not really into it. You're just doing your thing, doing what's required, and you're out of there. Maybe I could even call you lazy. And yet God's saying, don't retreat. Keep working with excellence. And what about the area of gospel risk? What a great weekend for gospel risk as we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, The Day Tomorrow. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Selma where he's battling for the right for African Americans to vote. And they're contemplating a march over and over again. He is facing violence. He is facing death threats. And yet he feels called and compelled by God that no matter what, he's going to push against the forces of evil and take risk. And God was with him. And there are areas in your life where God is calling you to take risk, gospel risk. It's not time to pull back. Some of you are trying to figure out what you're going to do this summer. A lot of you are students, and I just want to say that is a luxury because when you get to be an old man like me, you don't get to figure out what you're doing with your summer. It's already figured out for you. So there's opportunities some of you students have to go away to share the gospel, to go on a project, to go on a mission trip for weeks put together, and maybe you're afraid to do it because of what others may think or you're not quite sure it's going to fit with your career goals. I just want to tell you, just go for it. Now's the time for gospel risk for all of us. Our brothers and sisters, we've got to be done with retreating. I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm just calling you to start dealing with those areas where you are retreating because we follow a king who went all the way to the cross for us. And he's the forerunner, the perfecter of our faith. And I understand that you will go through periods of suffering and pain, especially if you start to deal with some of these areas of your life. But you can't stay in retreat mode. You cannot hear the word today and stay in retreat mode. There's got to be some stepping up, some advancement. And I believe that by God's grace, you can move forward. Let's pray. Father, where we have difficulties in our life, 
and where we would find it easier to do nothing, I just ask that you would convict us right now. May we not claim the gospel of grace. May we not claim you as king while we sit back and do nothing. Where we hear your word and not respond to it. Where are those steps of faith, Lord, that you want us to take in those relationship difficulties, personal holiness and integrity? Where are the risks you want us to take in our careers? Where are the risks that you want us to take to share the gospel? May we not stay in retreat mode. May we trust you that you have given us God-given calls, a specific action you want us to take, an attitude you want us to have, and trust that we have in you and your grace. So we just ask that you would empower us by your grace to step out and move forward for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.